This is Mark Kelly, and I'm part of the leadership at City Church Leeds, and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. I hope that it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. If you find these podcasts helpful, would you please consider standing with us and supporting us? For more information about this and other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. I introduce to you now our speaker for today. A number of you know him and a number of you don't know him. His name is Ian Russell. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure Ian will just share briefly who he is, where's he from, etc. Um, but Ian uh, is very much regarded as somebody with a huge apostolic grace. And this morning, I would like us to receive him as such. Ian. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, it feels like home. And uh, even though so much of the city and the skyline has changed, um, it, uh, there's so much parts that are familiar in coming back here. Um, just want to mention that uh, we have our youngest with us, Jono, who was... <laughs> who was two and a half when we left. So you can see that is quite some time ago. <laughs> and uh, um, he is about to be married and his fiance, Anne Chris, is with us as well today. So Anne Chris is welcome. Anne Chris is uh, from Germany and she's been doing an internship with us in the church in Leicester, and uh, she goes, returns to Germany in two weeks' time, actually. It's coming up fast. And of course, I brought Marge, because uh, it just wouldn't be the same if you, she were not here. J just to say personally, I, I really do have very, very fond connections, memories, in this city and heart connections that still exist. And um, probably the most favorite Old Testament character that I have is David. The Lord has spoken to me through David more than any other Old Testament person. And um, one of the things that David, this is just a preamble by the way, okay, I'll just talk. One of the things that David had was three anointings in three different places as God caused him to come into the calling that was his. And so uh, he was anointed by a bunch of desperate fellows at a place called Ziklag, where it all began to start for him. And then he moved on to Hebron, where he was received by his tribe, the tribe of Judah. And then he went on to Jerusalem, where his anointing was recognized by a, a far wider constituency. So all Israel came to him in Jerusalem. And um, one of the things about the middle place, Hebron, 
that it says in Scripture is that sons were born to David at Hebron. And um, Hebron wasn't the place that he started. It wasn't the place that he ended up. But it was a significant part of the journey, and sons were born to him. And Leeds is my Hebron. It's not the place I started. It's not the place I've ended up. But it's a powerful part of my journey. And physical sons were born to me in this city. But by the grace of God, we were able to sow our hearts into lives of people. And there's a sense of spiritual legacy. Some of the people are no longer in this city. They were in this city, and they're now in other places. But such is the largesse of this community that you planted out, and there's still connections across the world. So look, for these reasons, it's just an honor and a delight pleasure for me to be back here and just to share heart with you. Um, probably be good to open up to the scriptures and just get a uh, scripture to focus what I want to share on today is John chapter 1. And if David <clears throat> is my favorite Old Testament person, I have to say that probably, apart from Jesus, my favorite New Testament person is John, who was a man that was really close to the heart of Jesus, really love him, what he carries. And so we'll read a little bit from his gospel. And um, what I want to do is just to open up on some things that in recent coffee times, in the last six months or plus, with Mark and Kathy, been chatting some of these things with them, and so he says, I'd like you to share it, I'd like you to talk about it. So that's where this is coming from. This is a part of our journey and uh, trust that you will appreciate that this is a journey for us all to take. John chapter 1 verse 14. <clears throat> and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth down to verse 16 and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through jesus christ what i want to speak into and about today is about the whole issue of culture because when Jesus came there was a shift in culture and culture is really important because besides culture other words that can be used that are synonymous with it are words like environment and atmosphere but I like culture because it's a, a word that is quite common these days, of the, the kind of culture that a place or a people have. And Jesus brought a different culture with him into Israel, that they had known Moses. And Moses had established a culture based on law. But Jesus came with a different culture that was characterized by grace and truth. 
And why culture is so important is that the culture that is set determines what does or doesn't grow. Marge and I work and relate with a church in Phoenix, Arizona, which is a different climate to the UK. Arizona is in the desert, the Sonora Desert, has very little rainfall, it's usually hot, and in summer it is very hot. And um, as a result, the climate, because it's different, what grows there is very different to what grows here. And you go out into the Sonora Desert and you get cacti is the proper word, but for the rest of us, cactuses. You've got <laughs> cactuses that grow 8 foot, 10 foot, 12 foot tall. And they're enormous things that are just growing wild in the desert. When, when I grew up, all I remember the cacti being is just in somebody's conservatory on a windowsill, which were tiny little things that you put a speck of water on every few months and the things just ticked over. And once in a while you had a bloom, but they never grew any uh, size. And you go into another environment, namely the hot desert environment of Arizona, and these things are enormous. So what happens in culture is that it causes certain things to grow. And the other thing about a culture that you set is that it inhibits other things to grow. And so one of the things that happens in our country because it's such a wet environment is that when we have lawns, we have to deal, or certainly we do where we live because of the amount of clay that's under our, our soil, we have to deal with moss that's in the lawn. And so the moisture, the water, attracts the moss to grow, and the moss, of course, can kill the grass. So you've got to do the scarifying of getting the moss out to keep your lawn in uh, good condition. Note to self. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I receive that into my life as a gift of God, the scarifier. And... Um, Moisture produces the moss in this country that uh, no one in Arizona owns a scarifier because they don't need to do that because the environment inhibits and prohibits the coming through of the moss. So what we set as culture, whether it is personal culture or corporate culture, church culture especially, it's absolutely critical for what does grow and what doesn't grow. And your culture determines what you get. And so one of the, the key responsibilities of leadership, whether it's parents in a home or leaders in a church, is to set the culture, the environment, the atmosphere that you are responsible for, because that will determine what comes up, what will grow and what is inhibited in that environment. And Jesus comes with a different culture compared to Moses that's a culture of grace and a culture of truth. And in this culture of grace, there's a freedom and a liberty for things to happen that didn't happen under the law. 
And the Pharisees represented the law, and they didn't get him. The Pharisees had the law nailed down to 613 commandments. And so here they are based, if you would like, on principle and on doctrine. And it was principle and doctrine that was the culture that they had developed. And if anybody strayed from the principle and the doctrine that they had, they were rejected. I honestly believe that God is shifting his church from being primarily focused on principle and doctrine into grace and presence so that we are bringing presence and grace to people's lives and not forcing them, first of all, to sign up to and agree to doctrine. Now, you know me, those of you that do know me, know me well enough to know that this is what I love. I love the scriptures, but doctrine to be a front-end thing in the end will just be schismatic. It'll just cause division. And Jesus didn't come with law-based culture. He came with grace-based culture. And the environment of grace that he lived in, because he came from glory, came from heaven, came full of grace and full of truth, his internal environment spilt out of him and became an external environment that people just loved. People wanted to be in on it. Even the kids wanted to be in on it because unlike the Pharisees, which was doctrinal and legalistic, Jesus was full of grace and full of love and full of compassion and full of kindness, and kids loved to be around that stuff. And his grace caused people to change in a way that law could never cause them to change. And so the day came when he saw Peter who was cleaning his nets, and Peter had been fishing all night and had caught nothing. And he just says to Peter, um, launch out into the deep for a catch. And Peter looks at Jesus, and probably in his brain he's thinking, I'm a fisherman, I know where the fish are in these waters, I fished all night, and I've caught nout, as they say in Yorkshire. <laughs> you like that? I lad. Whereas, you're a carpenter, you know about what it means to make tables and chairs, and you're a carpenter telling me, a fisherman, how to fish. And probably this conversation was going on in Peter's head, but he comes to the place of, nevertheless, if you say it, I'm going to do it. And he pushes out into the deep, lets down his nets, and he's got such an incredible catch that his boat starts to sink, calls for his, the help of his friends. They bring this incredible haul into the shoreline, and Peter says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. It wasn't law that caused Peter to repent. It was the kindness of grace that was expressed in Jesus saying, go and put out for a catch. Jesus didn't say to Peter, I want to apply some principles and some doctrines to help you change, because actually it's really a blunt instrument. But grace and kindness, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And people don't need some more rules and regulations. 
It's time they experience some grace and some kindness. And I believe the Lord is raising up his church to be the conduit of grace and kindness to a people that have said, you've got to do this and you've got to do that, or you've got to do it this way or that way. And all they want is people who can live in an environment of heaven, of love and grace that gets poured out into their lives, that will cause them to change because we were wired for love, every one of us, and when we experience it, we are captivated by that culture of love. And so Jesus comes with a culture that's filled with grace and that's filled with love because he lived in his Father's love. That relationship of love was completely and separated while he was on earth and then the brilliant thing is because he had the spirit without measure the holy spirit came upon him in the form of a dove and he had the spirit without measure and the bible says wherever the spirit of the lord is there is freedom so he was the most free person the most fun person the most uninhibited liberated person that has ever walked on this earth so here's his culture filled with grace filled with love filled with freedom that comes from the holy spirit and that's where he got the multitudes from because it's like i want some of what he's drinking what he was living on the inside was so attractive that people wanted to buy into it and i believe that the lord is one in the church to embrace a culture that is the culture that jesus lived in that we're to live in so that what we live in and therefore what flows out of us causes people to say i want some of what you're drinking and i really believe that you as a community of people god is wanting to you to track with him in living in his culture so that you can be brokers of another realm namely heaven's realm into your culture the culture of leeds the culture of up north but it's bringing the kingdom to up north so that heaven can come and it comes through our hearts and through our lives and we're doing it the same in the midlands of course and wherever we're involved in but there's a shift that's taking place that i see that instead of being concept-based doctrinal-based principle-based as important as those things are to be front-loaded with those things will inevitably turn people off because people want serving with love to to give another scripture paul says knowledge puffs up love builds up if you come to people with knowledge they find it overbearing if you come to people with a sense of i've got my doctrine sorted they find that unpalatable and the church has had a really bad legacy of giving people answers to questions that they weren't asking but if we operate in the culture that jesus operates in which is our calling then it begins to cause us to better like ourselves because we love the culture on the inside of us and because we are more relaxed and at peace and blessed about who we are it means that what pours out of us is far much more acceptable to the folks around us so 
I just want to turn you to one other scripture in 2 Corinthians, which has become an amazing, amazing favorite of mine. And uh, it's for us, for Marge and I, and for the community where we work. This is a life-shaping and life-transforming scripture. It wasn't always that way for me because I knew this scripture from childhood, but it was utterly meaningless. It had no impact on my life. And the Lord has opened my eyes, opened our eyes, to see the incredible value and beauty of this scripture. And it's the last verse of 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14. You probably all know it. It says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. When I was growing up as a young boy in the Pentecostal church, yet whenever this scripture was announced, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, amen, we knew it was time. Lunch was close, we were getting out of that door, and there was something cooking in the oven, it was Sunday lunch. And that's how meaningless this verse was to me in growing up. You know, it's like the wallpaper in your house. It's always been there, but you never notice it. And, you know, if somebody tells you, describe the wallpaper in your lounge, you just can't remember what it's like because it's always been there. That's how it is. And this scripture was like wallpaper in the lounge, always been there and meaningless. And then God began to open our eyes to the richness that is in this verse. Starting off with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he came full of. This is what we have all received, grace upon grace. And God wants us to be a people that are completely at home in the realm of grace as opposed to the realm of law. And I believe the church is still on a journey. I believe I'm still on a journey so that there's nothing inside of me that's shaped by law, but only by grace. This is what the law is about. It's all about what I do by my effort to gain acceptance and value before God. And so... The Old Testament is filled with law. These are the rules. You have to walk by them. You have to fulfill them. And if you fulfill them, you're good. And if you don't fulfill them, you're bad. If you do fulfill them, you're accepted. If you don't fulfill them, you're not accepted. And all religions, bar none, are based on law. What I do to gain acceptance and value before God. And here's the radical message when Jesus comes with the message of grace, because grace isn't about what I do to gain acceptance and value, but grace is what he has done so that I gain acceptance and value based upon what he has done, not what I do. Which means there's nothing I can do if I understand what Jesus has done. There's nothing I can do to gain greater value and acceptance by any contribution from myself. Nothing. If he did it to get me accepted and valued in his sight, then I can't add to it. He's already done it. 
Now, that doesn't mean that then that gives me the right just to put my feet up and do nothing because he's given me works that I should walk in that bring glory to him, but they don't add to my value and they don't add to my acceptance. That simply his grace is the basis of value and acceptance that gives me the confidence to do the works of righteousness that he's ordained for me to do from before the foundation of the earth. So I don't want you to misunderstand that this is a message for putting your feet up and doing nothing, and it's, it's not. It's a message for exploits for God from a place of security that our identity has been established by what Jesus has done. And I believe him, and I get what he got. You see, if I'm based on law, I don't even know if I've done enough to be accepted. And it causes me to live in permanent insecurity of am I good enough? But if it's based upon the perfect sacrifice of the precious blood of Jesus, which is the most powerful product, to put it in that sense, in the universe, because just one spot can cleanse everyone forever. If my salvation is based upon what his blood has accomplished, it produces such a confidence and a security and a sense of authority in my life that then releases me to function. God wants all of us to have that sense of identity so that we're not tossed to and fro about who we really are. And Jesus came full of grace to give it away that the rest of the sons of God, all of them, may live in grace and not in law. And if there's anything that you're doing, that you're doing to gain acceptance and significance before God, I'm asking you to stop it. If you're reading your Bible to gain acceptance, stop it. You're reading it through the wrong lens. It's a love letter to you. It's not a document that you have work that you've got to do so that you can please him. Fasting, as much as I believe in fasting and prayer, fasting is not to get me accepted and valued. Fasting is for me to come into greater intimacy where I can hear his voice. Faith can spring up in my heart so that I can deal with the stuff that can only come out by prayer and fasting because I've heard his voice. It doesn't produce a greater value in my life or a greater acceptance. I'm no more accepted if I do fast than if I don't fast. And so I'm slaying stuff in my life that gives me a false understanding that I have to do something to get accepted and valued. I can do nothing. It's already been done for me. Therefore, grace becomes the basis on which we operate. Grace is really an expression of honor because in grace, you're getting what you don't deserve. 
you didn't deserve grace, you earned, didn't earn it, you didn't work for it. It's this free gift that comes from God, which is an expression of honor. God is so honoring to us. Once you've been honored, and everyone that's received grace has been honored, once you've been honored, you can then give honor. And by giving honor, you're doing it because you've received honor and have become honorable. You're not doing it because they deserve honor. Because that's law. I'm not against celebrating those that achieve something. But the kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdoms of this earth. And the kingdom of heaven, because it's so grace-based, is that honor is given not because somebody is worthy of it, but because the one who gives it is honorable. And that's where we want to see cultures of honor emerge amongst the people of God because those that have received honor can give honor. And by honoring those that don't deserve it, we break the vicious cycle of, I'm waiting until they do something good before I say something good. Instead, we can go out to those that are the least honorable in society and bestow upon them great honor because we're simply giving to them what we have received. We're not waiting for them to jump through the hoops, to believe the catechism, to agree with our doctrine. We will honor them because they're made in his image and they're worthy of honor. And, and this is the transformation that's taking place in the church today where we're coming out of a legal, law-based culture into a grace-based environment. It just liberates us to be more generous and more ourselves than ever before and to give away what we've got. And even if they don't receive it, well, we'll just go to the next town where they may receive it, but we'll give it away anyway. This is the incredible calling that we've been brought into. Grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God. And this love of the Heavenly Father, because he is love. So ultimately, God is a Father who loves. Again, this is revolutionizing the body of Christ right now. So that we operate from love, because the alternative to love is not good, because it's fear. The enemy's kingdom operates on the basis of fear. Because Satan himself knows that his time is short and he will receive judgment. Therefore, he is fearful as a person. And because he is head of his environment, his fear becomes transmitted to his other demonic underlings who operate on the basis of fear of Satan to do the things that they do. But they all know that their time is short, and therefore fear is the endemic culture and environment in which they operate. And that is completely opposed to what the environment is in the kingdom of God, which is an environment of love. And love and fear 
are mutually incompatible because love kicks out fear. Light and darkness are mutually incompatible. You throw the switch and the darkness disappears. Without a doubt, light is the more powerful commodity because darkness has to be dispelled whenever the light gets put on. Without a doubt, love is the more powerful commodity because whenever love shows up, fear cannot coexist at the same time. And what the enemy has sought to do is to sow fear into our hearts and into our lives. And he's absolutely relentless and he's committed to his task. But the brilliant news is that Jesus operates with a greater commodity of love. And there's no fear that has sought to attach itself to us that love cannot deal with in a moment as we open our hearts to the love of the Father. Fear is the consequence as well of living in a law-based environment. Because what if you don't keep the rules? What if you don't attain the target? Then there is consequences. And consequences are painful consequences in an environment of law. You know what the statement is on the streets? You do the crime, you pay the time. You get locked up. You get punished. You've got to serve your time for what you've done by not complying to the rules. And it's the fear of being locked up again or the fear of punishment that causes people who live in an environment of law to keep the law. The brilliant thing about love is if you open your heart to an environment of love, the law isn't even required because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is no room for law. So we're no longer under law. Paul says the law is for the ungodly and the sinners. But for those of us who are in Christ, there are no laws. Now when you begin to speak like this to church people around the country, not you of course, but other people around the country, they get nervous because it's like there's got to be some rules. We're part of a club. It means there's got to be some rules that we have to obey. And we go, uh, actually, it's a family. The culture of the family is love. There are no rules. <laughs> because where there is love, it kicks out fear. And where fear is no longer the environment, but love is when you love somebody, you want to please them and you don't need the rules the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit I, I just love this fellowship this shared life that isn't just with the holy spirit but actually it's with the father and the son as well because we've got access to the trinity but because the spirit is the one who the father and the son have sent to help us and to um, comfort us and to guide us and to lead us, the, the, the interaction with the Holy Spirit is of preeminent importance for this era on earth that we're in. Knowing the Spirit, being led with the Spirit, having a relationship with the Spirit, it's absolutely primary. Again, again I get into trouble where I'm going to say it because I'm amongst friends. Jesus did not say to them when he left, it's okay, guys, don't worry that I'm leaving. 
I know you're worried, but don't worry because I'm going to give you my book. He didn't say, I'm going to give you my book. He says, I'm going to give you my spirit. The Holy Trinity is not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a relationship with the Spirit that as we have a shared life, this, this word fellowship, you know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Koinonia is the same word that the Greeks used for marriage. It's a shared life. So, by his grace, Jesus has opened the door for us to have a shared life with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. And it's a relationship with the Spirit that produces life. You can have a relationship with the Bible and be dead. Because the letter kills. It's the Spirit. Now, once you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, then he will say to you, have you seen what's in my book? Once you have a relationship with him, he wants to give you a commentary about what he's written. He wants to remind you about what he inspired centuries ago so that it comes off the page, not as a dead letter, but as a living word that once it gets on the inside of you, stirs a faith in you that this becomes a daily bread and not some crusty old document that's written on parchment years ago. It becomes alive, not because you read it, but because the Spirit interprets it to your heart and the spirit applies it to your life that's why Jesus says I'm not giving you my book I'm giving you my spirit presence of the spirit is the hallmark of the people of God you can have a Bible but still not be part of the people of God but where the spirit of the Lord is as we've already said there is always freedom liberty and as just as much as it was a hallmark of Jesus, it is also a hallmark of every other son of God. Men and women alike, because we both, we're all sons, we all get the inheritance. Sons of God are to be characterized by a freedom and a liberty that is unknown outside of the kingdom of God. Released to be all that we are and all that we were made to be and this freedom is not only attractive but infectious and it's the spirit of god that as we drink of the spirit as it bubbles as he bubbles up inside of us therefore it flows out with life and love and liberty to the people around and this is what the whole, whole of creation is waiting for creation is in bondage to decay because sin has affected the whole of the created order. And the redemption of creation is not just coming through the Son. This is incredible, I know. But because he just didn't make us get in by the skin of the teeth, but everything that he gave to Jesus, he now gives to us so that we are joint heirs with Christ. We cannot add to Christ's redemption, but by his incredible grace, he brings us into the process so that as sons, we partner with the Son in bringing redemption and healing and wholeness and liberty to the created order. The created order is not waiting for the politicians, it's not waiting for the economists, it's not waiting for the philosophers and the educators, it's waiting for the sons of God to come into their home 
And as the liberty of the Spirit on the inside of us liberates us out of all thinking, old ways of feeling, so that we walk in the newness of life in the Spirit, we become the conduits of heaven's realm into the created order, liberating not only people, but the whole of the created order. And, and, and this is our high calling, that you can walk down the high street and change the atmosphere. Because what's in you can leak out of you, and what can leak out of you is so potent that it can affect the people and the environment around you. Of course, the enemy knows how dangerous you are. So if he can get you locked into internal navel-gazing and condemnation about what you're not, then he's got you manacled so that you're not living in the overflowing abundance of the liberty of who your true identity is as a, a son of God. And the Holy Spirit wants to take the wraps off all that nonsense and say, be the incredible people that you are. Not because of what you do, but because of what he did that you're now entering into and receiving the benefit of what is obtained by you in his salvation. This salvation is greater than we could have ever imagined. I thought it was all about having my sins forgiven and going to heaven. I realize it's so much bigger than that. It's about bringing heaven to earth because I'm a new creation. And we partner with the Son as sons to broker another environment into the earth. So the culture that Jesus lived in is now the culture that every other son is to live in. That's why this verse on the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is so rich and powerful to me because this is an abiding daily reality that God wants us to live in because it's another realm. This is the culture of heaven on earth that we can broker to other people. And it's open to us all. As long as we do one thing, which is to cultivate and maintain the culture that we've come into and don't let it dribble away. Proverbs says, above all, above all, above all, above all, God your heart. So my internal world is my responsibility. I am not responsible for your internal world. You are responsible for yours because you have been given the responsibility to guard your heart. So what you've received, you have the capacity to protect and guard and cultivate. Some people put it this way. It's the garden of your heart. If your heart is a garden, it requires cultivation. It requires a fence to be put around it to stop people just walking through. You can't give the right to anybody and everybody access to your heart. There has to be boundaries. And what grows in the environment of my heart I am responsible to cultivate. I'm also responsible to deal with any weeds that are coming up that are contrary to what I want to see produced. Weeds like lies of the enemy. Weeds like fiery darts of the enemy that he wants to injure me with in my soul. I am responsible for protecting and cultivating 
the garden. If I believe it's the pastor's responsibility to cultivate my garden, I'm going to live in eternal disappointment. Well, certainly here on earth. Because I'm asking him to do something that he can't do, and I'm not taking responsibility for something that I can do. And so, Paul, in writing to Rome, the Romans in chapter 5, he says, um, Having been justified by faith, we now have access into this grace in which we stand. So I have access by faith into an environment of grace because of what Jesus has done. And it's my responsibility not just to enter into that environment, but to stand in that environment. So understanding my responsibility, it's not the pastors, it's not the elders, it's not the deacons, it's not anybody else's. It's my responsibility to stand. And in standing in grace, I keep getting access to the throne of grace for more grace to help in time of need. So this isn't just a one-off deal. This is access to even more grace so that the more I stand in and the more I give away, the more I can receive because, because God is limitless. There is no limit to this amount of grace. There's enough grace in God to transform a planet. Change a universe, his grace is limitless. I'm responsible to keep my heart bathed in his love. L later on in Romans 5, in, in fact, in chapter 5 and verse 5, it talks about the love of God, which is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. If I maintain fellowship, shared life with the Holy Spirit, I'm in connection with somebody that can keep shedding abroad the love of God into my heart so that I position myself in the field of grace, receiving more grace, and in fellowship with the Spirit, I not only get grace, but I get love. And because I'm in fellowship with the Spirit, I get the joy of knowing increased liberty. So that we are protecting our inner space. And protecting a culture that has been entrusted to us from heaven. This is all supernatural, by the way. The love is supernatural. It's not my love. It comes from somewhere else. It comes from God. If it comes from God, it's supernatural. The love is supernatural. The grace is supernatural. You know, of myself, I wouldn't be gracious at all. I'd just be a miserable old whatever. But because the grace comes from Jesus, it's supernatural. And this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he is utterly, utterly, completely supernatural. So if I involve with him, I'm already involved in the supernatural. And the supernatural then maintains an atmosphere for the miraculous. Because if I maintain this culture, if I maintain this environment, which is supernatural, then it means that anything can happen because we're plugged in via the Spirit to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and heaven's resources become accessible, not because we've got the right doctrine, but we have cultivated a culture that enables us to access these things. And it's not because we're perfect, because I'm not. 
because of grace and love. And God uses the most unlikeliest of people. You think, how, Lord, could you use him? And from a doctrine perspective and a principle perspective, you think, Lord, he got that one wrong. But from a grace perspective, he got it completely right. And the enemy wants to get you off of grace and onto law to disqualify you for what you didn't do and you need to respond to him saying you're on the wrong pitch buddy because i'm over here it's not about what i did do or didn't do i am covered by his grace bathed in his love empowered by his spirit my access isn't based upon what i have done but what jesus did for me and that's why i can do what i can do and the Lord is wanting to release us out of the shackles of inferior environments, especially the environment of law, and into the environment of grace where we can be loved and loved, where we can be honored and honor, where we can be liberated, and it means that this liberty is to liberate others into the fullness of what they want. So cultivate your internal environment because this is the key to it all. I want to give you permission to go ahead and have fun and make mistakes. Because it's not about being in a classroom where if you don't get your answer right, you're in for detention for the rest of the day. It's a family where we're learning together and that if you do foul up, mum and dad are unconditional in their love and it's okay because the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is there. Say, come on, son. We know you can do better than that. Come partner with us and see what happens next time. And so give yourself permission to have fun, to be liberated, to make mistakes. As long as you learn in the process, it's okay. Because to continue to make the same mistake is just a bit stupid. And God wants us to deliver us from the spirit of stupid and bring us into the fullness of what it's like to live filled with the spirit. <sighs> How are you doing, guys? Is this making any sense? Yes. Guys, your calling is so amazing. His investment in you is so incredible. His passion for this city and this region is so off the charts that as we connect with the divine intention, it just begins to flow. And right now, some of you might be like that little boy that's got five loaves and two fish and think, what can this do? What impact is this going to have when you look at the need that's out there? I believe the Lord wants you to bring your lunchbox to him this morning. And you might have five small loaves and two small, was it five loaves or five fish? I can't remember which one it was now. Whatever it was, yeah? And see, it may not be impressive to people, because it wasn't. It might not even be impressive to yourself. And the Lord is saying, if you will bring it to me, just as you are, I want to bless it. I may want to break it. The things he wants to break off of us aren't the positive. They're just the negative things that he doesn't want us to carry anymore. He just wants them broken off us. I want to bless it and I want to break it and I'm going to multiply it so you can give it. And if you've been 
overwhelmed by what's out there compared to what small thing that you have or if you're just thinking how's it all going to happen but if you are wanting god to use it and i'm already standing but i'm just inviting you to stand with whatever you've got as small as it may be to say lord what you have given me i'm bringing it to you that you may bless it break off whatever doesn't need to be broke whatever isn't there that you don't want to break it off that you might multiply what you've put in me that's of you that you might use me to give it away and to generously bless as i've been blessed so lord we bring to you today as we're standing in your presence all that we are and all that we have we know that when you handle our lives a supernatural culture begins to invade us that changes the potential and makes the impossible possible in standing before you we just say would you take us bless us break us multiply what we have that we might give it away jesus we want to represent you we want to represent what your kingdom looks like filled with grace filled with love filled with the spirit of liberty and father i pray for this precious precious community of people that have exhibited a faithfulness that brings delight to your heart that have walked a covenant that resonates with what resonates in your heart and i ask for incredible fruitfulness an incredible increase an incredible productivity to come out of them not because they're seeking to earn anything but they're just seeking to flow out with what you have poured into them we bless one another to be the amazing people that you've called us to be we say the incorruptible seed that is put in our hearts is amazing and that it's destined for increase and expansion and growth and heaven breaking into our lives and out of our lives and so we bless the people around us and we give them permission to be all that you have called them to be we will celebrate what is their true identity by grace we choose not to be competitive we choose not to be dismissive but we celebrate and cheer one another on into the fullness of the calling that you've given us we bless you in jesus name for one another for this great connection of heart let this community become even more unconfined in jesus name. Let it break out to the right and to the left to the north and the south the east and the west let there be a breakout not because they're forcing it but because it's just can't keep this stuff in it has to flow out let the city be transformed let the environment be changed as they receive heaven's environment in increasing measure thank you jesus